we get a little bit of both today. We start by looking backward at GDP, which was revised higher in the United States in the first quarter. But we also, more importantly, get to look ahead using something the Federal Reserve actually reported just yesterday. Let's start by looking backward. U.S. GDP was revised up to 2% in the first quarter. That's 2% quarter over quarter at an annual rate. That's up from 1.3% in the second estimate and the preliminary estimate way back when was 1.1%. Most of it was due to spending on automobiles, durable goods, consumer spending that was boosted because automobiles suddenly became available. The end of the supply shock, consumers bought lots of cars in the first quarter, in particular January, which this is June. That's ancient history. GDP also got a benefit from Exports, which rebounded slightly more than imports. Imports were basically flat in GDP accounting, while exports were up a little bit, which contributed more to the headline number two. So that's responsible for a big part of the upward revision. And as the Census Bureau reported yesterday, that's going to continue in the second quarter, but for the wrong reasons. Exports are falling, but imports are falling even more as the U.S. experiences more and more recession-type demand problems. So imports falling more than exports is actually GDP positive. So there will be boost from recession trade in the United States in the second quarter. But that's looking backwards. And again, that's looking backwards all the way at the first quarter. What are we supposed to expect for the second quarter? Well, with GDP revised higher, that means that GDP in the second quarter is likely to be a little bit lower. At least the growth rate is going to be a little bit lower. According to the blue chip survey currently, most surveyors are expecting GDP to be quite low, around 1%, a little bit less, about nine tenths of a percent is the average in the blue chip survey right now. So if GDP was 2% in the first quarter, we can kind of subtract a little bit more off the growth, growth rate in the second quarter, which means we're closer and closer to zero in the second quarter. So we have slowdown in the first quarter from last year, another slowdown likely in the second quarter, which might be, could possibly be negative. And then likely the third and fourth quarter, we get either the shallow recession that many people are expecting or the start of the worst part of the recession that markets have been expecting. One key reason why we're expecting more than a shallow recession is looking forward using something the Federal Reserve just reported yesterday, the results of its stress test. They stress tested 23 large US banks in the United States, and you can see the results. The common tier one equity capital ratio, which was 12.4% in the fourth quarter among these banks, that falls to just 10.1%, 10, 10 way above the minimum regulatory uh, requirement. Uh, even under the severely adverse scenario, which we're going to find out actually is quite adverse and quite severe. Uh, total, total capital ratio, 16.1%. That falls a couple percentage points under the adverse scenario, well above the minimum. Even the supplementary leverage ratio, which is 6.3, that only falls to 5.2% for the sample of 23 large banks. Again, well above regulatory minimum. So the upshot from the Federal Reserve's stress test is that the large U.S. banks are incredibly well capitalized. So here I'm going to now take a cheap shot by reminding everybody what, on, what the uh, Swiss regulators said 
on March 15th. The Swiss Financial Market Supervisory Authority, FINMA, and the Swiss National Bank assert that the problems of certain banks in the USA do not pose a direct risk of contagion for the Swiss financial markets. The strict capital and liquidity requirements applicable to Swiss financial institutions ensure their stability. Credit Suisse meets the capital and liquidity requirements imposed on systemically important banks. If necessary, the SNB will provide Credit Suisse with liquidity. That was March 15th. Five days later, Credit Suisse was essentially a failed bank being forced into UBS. My point being, capital ratios are utter and complete garbage. They tell us absolutely nothing. But even so, that doesn't mean the stress test results from the Fed are useless. They're useless in telling us, focusing on capital ratios, but there is actually valuable inf information looking ahead that can tell us something important about maybe what the future is going to be like, especially in the context of growing recession risks. And we'll get to all that in just a minute. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodal University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, Eurodal University has memberships available. We go into the background details of the Eurodollar system, which is the reserve currency system, what it is, what it's supposed to do, and why it isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. We also talk about the same things at our research subscriptions. I do a, a research subscription, a daily briefing that's in partnership at marketsinsiderpro.com. You can check that out. I also do a daily deep dive analysis where we go way beyond what we talk about here on YouTube, deep, diving deep well into these money and macro topics because they are that important to not just investing, but also what everyone is doing in their daily lives. There's not a, there isn't anything that the Euro dollar system doesn't impact, either directly or indirectly. All the information available for you, research subscriptions and memberships at eurodollar.university. I'm gonna take another cheap shot at capital ratios because it's worth reminding what these things are and how useless they are. This is, uh, this is something that SEC chairman or former SEC chairman Christopher Cox told Congress in the fall of 2008 after the banking crisis had unexpectedly developed, at least in the perspective of authorities. What he said was, the rapid collapse of Bear Stearns during the week of March 10, 2008 challenged the fundamental assumptions behind the Basel standards and the other program metrics. At the time of its near failure, Bear Stearns had a capital cushion well above what is required to meet supervisory standards calculated using the Basel framework and the Federal Reserve's quote, well-capitalized standard for bank holding companies. The fact that these standards did not provide enough warning of the near collapse of Bear Stearns and indeed the fact that the Basel standards did not prevent the failure of many other banks and financial institutions is now obvious, he said. Well, it was obvious beforehand if you understood the uselessness of capital ratios and the real dangers that are involved here. And the real dangers are not what's captured by capital ratios. Let's go to March 2017 real quickly. This is from Ignazio Angelino, Angelini, who is a member of the ECB's supervisory board, again on the topic of capital ratios. Many banks that ran into trouble during the crisis were comfortably capitalized. Lehman Brothers, for example, had a tier one ratio of 11%, I think it was actually closer to 12% up to its demise. While, the capital, while capital is the quintessential measure of solvency, 
other prudential standards on liquidity, funding, distribution of resources. Those are needed to support and preserve it before that safeguard of last resort is necessary. So capital ratios, there's no reason to focus on them. So the Fed stress test is designed really for the same reason that capital ratios are designed, which is to give the public a sense of confidence. Here's a numerical number that's supposed to be something very important that tells us something even more important about the condition of the banks that we're all interested in. And if this really simple number is high or low, that's supposed to tell us something meaningful. When, as history has shown, it tells us absolutely nothing meaningful whatsoever. So the use of capital ratios and these stress tests is really to reassure the public that the banking system is fine. But in the case of the current stress test, number one, does it not only does it focus on capital ratios, which doesn't tell us anything, number two, it only stress tested in the United States the 23 largest banks. Now in Europe, they do a little more exhaustive stress test and the results of those will come out next month. But either way, we're only stress testing the largest US banks and estimating their, the impact of adverse scenarios on capital ratios. So how can this be useful at all? How, where's the useful information here? Well, it's not the impact on capital ratios. It's instead all the assumptions and calculations that the Fed goes through to put together its adverse scenarios. We get an idea of what these models are thinking as far as what, what might, be, what might uh, the downside be that we could be facing in the very near-term future. What is it that authorities are seeing as far as risk in the information that they have we could only dream of? So with the proper caveats in mind, understanding these are quantitative models, these are regulatory perceptions, so already we need to discount the information, but that doesn't mean that there isn't useful stuff here. And it begins with the really adverse scenario because the numbers that they did put together were really adverse. Um, this year's stress test includes a severe global recession with a 40% decline in commercial real estate prices, a substantial increase in office vacancies, and a 38% decline in house prices. The unemployment rate rises 6.4 percentage points to a peak of 10% in out economic output declines commensurately. And a 10% unemployment rate, that's similar to what we got in, say, the early 1980s, so that is a severe recession. Though it's arguable about how severe that would be, though I would imagine their models are arguing that since the unemployment rate is that low to begin with, we're adding a 6.4 percentage points on top of it, which makes it an adverse scenario. But again, that's not, that's not really our interest here. What, what is really interesting is what they've said about commercial real estate. Their focus on especially commercial real estate shows us already First of all, something that we already know, but the fact that authorities are worried about commercial real estate because we all know it's going to be a huge problem. How big of a problem? This bank, the banks in this year's test hold roughly 20% of the office and downtown commercial real estate loans held by banks. The large projected decline in commercial real estate prices combined with the substantial increase in office vacancies contributes to projected loss rates on office properties that are roughly triple the levels reached during the 2008 financial crisis. So that's already realistic because commercial real estate wasn't a big problem during the 2008 monetary crisis. 
So this is showing that at least it's a somewhat realistic update to that to that scenario and that we're focusing more on commercial real estate rather than residential real estate. And in doing so, the stress test produced these results. In the severely adverse scenario, banks are projected to lose 64.9 billion on CRE exposures or 8.8% of average balances. Overall projected CRE loss rates have fallen since 2020 as the hospitality sector recovered from the acute pandemic related stress. No, the government shutdowns, not pandemic, but they remain elevated. Projected loss rates in the office sector continue to increase because of the high level of current stress in the office market fundamentals and the projected further deterioration in the scenario. For example, the loss rates under this year's scenario was around 20%. The projected, projected office loss rates in the last few stress, few stress test cycles are higher than the peak loss rate observed in the 2008-9 global monetary crisis. So they are taking commercial real estate really seriously. And they're coming up with substantial loss rates when doing so. But did you catch what they said here? I just mentioned it earlier. So they say the 64.9 billion in projected losses under the severely adverse scenario, but that 64.9 billion is only the 23 large banks that they're stress testing. And the 23 large banks, as we talked about before, as they said before, earlier, I, I just read this, the banks in this year's test hold roughly 20% of the office and downtown commercial real estate loans, one fifth, which means what? Obviously that four fifths of this highly stressful credit, uh, credit market sector, the loans on it are being held on the other parts of the banking system, the rest of the banking system, the SVBs, and First Republic of the world. So while there's 65 billion in potentially downside losses for these large banks, there's how many multiples more potentially under a severe adverse scenario for smaller banks who are exposed to a circumstance that is that can be a lot less severely adverse than what the Federal Reserve is stress testing as we saw already in Silicon Valley Bank, First Republic, as well as Credit Suisse for maybe different reasons though. So while we have a global problem on our hand, we have a commercial real estate on our hand, we know that authorities are, are getting more and more worried about it. They also make this one statement toward, actually it's toward the beginning, it's toward the end of their summation. They say the test focus on commercial real estate shows that while large banks would experience heavy losses in the hypothetical scenario, they would still be able to continue lending. While the large banks would experience heavy losses, they'll continue to lend. First of all, we know that's not true because we've gone over the credit crunch statistics up to this point, which shows that Securities held by banks, all banks, as well as lending across all banks in the United States, those have contracted since March and have not, not come back. And the reason is the second part, while large banks might be okay with the adverse scenario, or even less than adverse scenario in commercial real estate, small banks, as we know, are looking at these same projections and saying, I better start getting ready. I need to cut back. Even if we don't come anywhere close to these adverse scenarios, it could still get very rough in my own business. 
So small banks are looking at these, these types of scenarios and we know what they're doing. They're already cutting back on lending. So while they still may be able to, to continue lending, large banks aren't really lending to the small banks. There's no money dealer distribution or redistribution of resources to them. And small banks aren't lending at all, not really. In fact, they're battening down the hatches, selling off securities where they can in order to maintain a liquidity and cash cushion in the case, in the high probability, this banking crisis isn't over. And what the Fed's stress test numbers show, even the less adverse scenarios, is that there's likely to be more big problems ahead. Not for the 23 banks that they tested, but for the thousands of other banks that they didn't. Because unlike the 2008, uh, the 2008 crisis, monetary crisis, which focused on these big banks, regardless of whether they were capitalized or not, the current crisis we are in is not really about big banks other than Credit Suisse. Instead, it's about the rest of the banking sector and including non-bank participants that could, that could not only become averse under the adverse scenario, we, we know they already have done that, but take even more pro-cyclical and economically damaging steps over the months ahead. So while we look backward on first quarter GDP that was revised higher, the Federal Reserve's worthless stress test that focused on worthless capital ratios does provide us with some useful information about looking forward because even authorities know commercial real estate is going to be a big problem. And the numbers suggest that they're big enough to be an issue for the, the wider banking system at large, which again, Looking forward, that would be a huge problem in the real economy. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you. Eurodollar University research subscribers, Markets Insider Pro research subscribers, and of course, all of our Eurodollar University members. A sincere thank you. Until next time, take care.